Second Chronicles, you can open your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 20. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen, but I encourage you to bring a physical Bible. Uh, some of you like version, open to that, it's great. We'll be going a little bit back and forth on that, but um, if you have a physical Bible, um, the Bible says about people who carry physical Bibles um, that you are more loved by God, like just a little bit. Um, and I don't know, you, oh, you, you look for yourself, but it's true. Um, and... Uh, I don't know. I was going to make a joke. I don't have anything in me. Um, but I, I just encourage you to do it. I, I, I love it. I, I, I've had my same Bible for 15 years. I underline it and circle and highlight. And uh, it's, it's a valuable thing for me. So I encourage you to bring a Bible. But either way, would you engage with the text this morning? I'm going to read one verse right now. And then we're going to revisit a few different parts of this passage. Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 12b. It's the second half of the verse for those of you who are not Bible nerds. 12b, second half of the verse. This is God's people praying. They're crying out because they're about to, to pretty much die. They said, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Turn to your neighbor and say, I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on. Don't say it. It's not them. Better not have your eyes on them. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And I want to speak from this simple subject today. What to do when you don't know what to do. What to do when you don't know what to do. Would you bow your heads and would you pray with me and let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us because maybe today there's something that you need from him. Lord, we thank you so much for how good you are. God, we come in from a variety of ages and backgrounds and, and experiences and struggles that are ahead of us or right where we're in the middle of. But God, we know that in all of it, you've got something that you want to say. So God, we do not know what to do as a church, as a people, as families, as dads, as moms, as friends, but our eyes are on you. We thank you, God, that you're going to speak and you're going to move in a mighty way today. We give you the floor. We give you preeminence today. And we thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. amen. Are you, uh, you ever found yourself in a... Um, in a situation where you started to take matters into your own hands, when it came to something that you had no business taking into your own hands, anybody? Um, be kind of like my wife uh, driving in the snow. You know, it's like, that's not something you should do, right? Or for me, it was, uh, we recently, backstory, we have, we have three children, Hayden, Jude, and, and Lennon, and Hayden and Jude historically have been sharing a room, and they, um, uh, they love it, they play so great together, except when they don't, and many times they don't. And, and Jude's a terror, and he... He, 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 tear, he tears everything down, and he, 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 he tortures his sister, and they share a room, and she'll build something, a gnome house or something of the like, and, and he'll tear it down, and he'll laugh, and then she'll kick him in the head, and it's just not really good for like, the culture of the home, and so we decided we've only, we don't have a spare bedroom, but we did have a guest room slash bonus room, and this bonus room doubled as a shrine for my old video games, and I, I'm a sucker for nostalgia. I like nostalgia. Actually, Greg, he gave me his light bright in, in the box, and I, I treasure that thing. I got the NES. I got the SNES. I got the Sega Genesis. I got the Game Boy in the box. I got the NES Classic in the box. I, 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 got, the, I got the Game Gear. Some of you don't even know what that is, and it's okay. I got, a, I, I got all of it. I love it. I got the N64. I don't have any of the new stuff. I might only accumulate about an hour of video games per year that I play, but I love, I love having it, right? And so I we decided we were going to convert our third stall in our garage to a office slash rec room slash the word that I hate, but I'm going to say it because it is what it is. It was a, it's a man cave. It's a man cave. 
Now, I, and I always say, I'm never going to say man cave first. I'm going to say office slash guest room slash man cave. Because uh, I really don't like the word man cave. But I, I'm going to say, that's what it is. And, and so when we moved the kids' rooms, we had to do that. And Noel's like, what if we just put up a wall, kind of partition that, and that can be your space? We get out there, and it be quick, quickly became a... a um, a, a larger project where we would end up send, uh, like walling in the entire room. We, we built the, the, the ceiling for it. We insulated it. We drywalled it. We textured it. We did all of that kind of stuff. And it's pretty cool now. But I do not have the expertise for this. So Noel's dad, who built their house literally with his hands, the entire thing, and Noel's uncle, who used to frame homes, they're like, I, we can help. And by help, they mean we will do it and you can hold the tools. And that's what it became, Right? But a few days in, I'm starting to get the hang of it, and I'm, I'm doing pretty decent, and, and so I'm, I'm, they're letting me do kind of the stuff. It's kind of like I do with the kids, like, will you take your dish to the sink? Like, that's what they did for me. They, they give me a little bit, but it's not too much responsibility. You know what I'm talking about? And, and one of the days, that they weren't going to be able to come the next day, and we're, we're, we'd start, started putting up the drywall. And I'm thinking, we're doing this too slow. And Chuck, Noel's dad, he gets ready to leave for the day. He's like, hey, um, so we, we started getting some stuff going, you know, and, and uh, you're going to want to do some of this on your own. Don't. And that was his exact words. He's like, you're going you're gonna to want to keep going. Don't. You don't know what you're doing. You just need to wait for me to come back. That was not Chuck being arrogant. That was him being compassionate. Um, and he said, just, just don't. And I'm thinking, you're trying to get me to earn, like, your approval, right? Like I've been married to your daughter for 13 years, but I still haven't done that manly thing that makes you think that I can protect her. And you're testing me, aren't you? So I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to pass this test. So he, 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 he leaves and, uh, and Noel comes out to the garage about 20 minutes later. She's like, what are you doing? What, what do you think I'm doing? I'm building a room. Like, <laughs> what do you think? You know, uh, she's like, don't you think you should wait for my dad? Like, Noel, who do you think? Do you see these arms? Do you know, I'm Taylor Murray. Like, I don't know if you knew this, but I was a big Lego guy. And I didn't even use instructions. So, like, and she's like, no, I really think you should wait for, your, for my dad. And I'm like, oh, you're testing me too, aren't you? You're trying to say, hey, Taylor, let me, I'm going to watch and watch those arms just get, so, like, just, like, and I'm, I'm, they're just getting, they're, like, I'm not even flexing. They're just getting bigger as I just start to speak things that are not as though they were over my, and I'm becoming the person that God has created me to be. And so, and so we're at the point of the drywall. And so I'm like, no, I can do it. And so there's this one piece of drywall that's going to go up and the bottom of it would go over. And any of, any of you who do things, you know, like, oh gosh. Um, and, and, and I should have thought, oh gosh, too. And, and just, just not, but it's supposed to go over the light switch. And so I put it up and then the, you know, there's a switch and and so I'm like, I can do it, though. I've been watching, and I've been participating. And so I measure it out, and I cut it out. I'm like, this is awesome. And so I think, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lift it up, and I'm going to use the leverage of my body to hold it with one hand, the whole sheet. And I'm going to use the other hand with the, with the, the drill, and I'm going to, you know, drill it, a couple in, and it's going to hold it, and then I'll get more, and then, then it'll be fine. And so I get it up there, and I, I kind of, like, shove it into the corner, and I've got it with one hand, and so I reach to grab the drill to go and drill it in and stop. You don't know what's going to happen. All <laughs> oh, you people judging me, where's your faith? 
and I put it, and I was great. And I did the whole wall myself. They didn't need to help me anymore. Okay, that's not true. Um, and so as I, as I reached for the drill to, to, to put a couple screws in, the, the, the drywall sheet begins to fall. And it falls. And you know, drywall sheets are not supposed to fall. They're supposed to not fall. But this one did fall, and it hit the corner like it would, poetically, and the whole corner of it just begins to shatter, and then it falls, and it lands on my foot, and it dents where my foot is. And then as it lands, it falls forward, and it lands on a, um, another, like some tools that are on the ground, and it splits in half. And I, and I yelled some things that I never should have yelled in that moment. And I was so mad at my father-in-law for planting that seed of doubt. It was his fault that I dropped it. And so I did what anyone would do in my situation. I folded it up, I put it in the corner, and I pretended that it never happened. (laughs) It's funny, my uncle came a couple days later before my father-in-law. He's like, I thought we had one more sheet. I was like, nah, you know, I told you, I knew we should have got more guys, but you, you thought we could do it with this much, you know. <laughs> you ever done this? Like you take matters into your own hands thinking that you have what it takes to do what you really don't have what it takes to do. And you think about the kings of the Old Testament and the kings that are, uh, that are chronicled in this book. Just in Second Chronicles, there are 21 kings. And God would appoint kings and judges, and many of them were righteous and many of them weren't. And you had one of two legacies. You, it would chronicle their life and their work, and many of them it would be short, and many of them it would be a long description. And it would, at the end, it would say they lived this many years, and they, they, they ruled this many years, and it would say one of two things. One would be, and they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Or their legacy would be, probably like mine was, would be if I was in charge, and they did what was wrong or evil in the eyes of the Lord. And of the 21 kings, 11 of them, that was their legacy. They did what was evil in the sight or the eyes of the Lord. But Jehoshaphat, who this is the story we're reading today, he's one of the good ones. There were 10 that did what was right. Now, Jehoshaphat tolerated some things he shouldn't have. He didn't finish some of the work that he set out to do in terms of purifying the people and leading them in the ways of God. But for the most part, he stewarded his power well. He did what he could to be diplomatic and and lead well and build the nation and and to get people to turn towards God. So he was not perfect, much like all of us, when it comes to leading our families or leading our business or whatever we do. None of us are perfect, but his legacy was he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But we go back to the middle of his story, and this is where we pick up. He's, he's, uh, He's found out all of the sudden that there are multiple armies, all who are powerful, they're on their way to take over. They're on their way to, to destroy Judah. And, and he doesn't really have any time. He finds out, and he finds where they are. They're like, hey, guess what? These guys are coming. They're going to take over, and they're already close. Meaning, there's no time to formulate a plan. There's no time. Like, we're already too late on this one. What do you want to do? So they're on their way. Don't have any time for a plan. So Jehoshaphat freaks out. And do you know what his first response is? Let's get this. In verse 3, write it down, because you, you need to read through this whole thing. It's, it's amazing. Verse 3, alarmed, freaked out, like pooping his pants kind of thing. Jehoshaphat, get this, he resolved to inquire of the Lord, proclaiming a fast for all Judah, and the people came together to seek help from the Lord. 
And what he does is he gets everybody together and they start rehearsing and repeating the, the, the promises of God. And they're like, you are the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and you've been faithful throughout the ages, and you will be. And so they start proclaiming these things as a nation, and he's leading the people in this. They take a time of prayer and fasting, and they've got a prayer meeting. I mean, how many of you would describe, like, how you are, uh, like, when you get freaked out or something comes at you, like, resolve is the first word you come to use to describe. No. That's me. Like, the, my first response is always just perfect. I just go to God and say, God, you're so great. No, I don't. And he, but this is what he does. He gets them all together, and they start reciting these things. And it, we pick up in verse 12. He says, God, we don't have the power to face, to face this vast army attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Verse 13, all the men of Judah with their wives and their children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jehazel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite descendant of Asaph. This is such a tongue twister. And he stood in the assembly and he said this, listen, King Jehoshaphat, listen, all of the people of the congregation, listen, all people who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord is saying to you. So imagine this. Imagine we in our city and in our region, there's an imminent attack and we're gathered together. Maybe some of us, we don't even want to be there. We'd rather be drinking our cares away for tomorrow we're about to die. So why even try? And he gets them all in the room and, he, and, and, and they, they inquire of the Lord. And this one prophetic person says, check it out. This is what the God of Israel is saying, this is what God is saying to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. You ever been afraid or discouraged? Anyone ever been disheartened? There's like seven people in here. You just have great lives. I want to know what you're drinking. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. It's such a wild thing. Like the largeness of your problem. I mean, there's, there are problems and then there are like problems. And he's saying, don't let the largeness of this problem discourage you. For the battle is not yours, but mine, says the Lord. I think some of us need to, we'll pause here. We need to hear this. The battle is not yours. It is God's. That is not a way for you to take your hands out and just sit and just be like, ah. You know, I don't know if that's what you do when you're like relaxing. Ah. But like, that's not what I'm talking about. But it's an understanding of who God is and who you are. The battle is not yours. It is mine, says the Lord. We'll skip to verse 22 so that we can read it fast. Verse 22, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah. And they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir and they destroyed and annihilated them. After they finished slaughtering the men from there, they helped destroy one another. This is what we're gonna get into. I love it. We can do a whole series on this, but I'm not gonna do that. But I'm gonna give you five things. The five to-dos to do every time that you don't know what to do. The five to-dos to do every time you don't know what to do. The five to-dos that every time you don't know what to do, you should do. Meaning, there is not a single situation on planet Earth where these five to-dos will not work for you. Every single one of them works. This is what we do. Every single time you don't know what to do, here are the five things that you can do. Number one, well, I'm going to give you all five right now. Resolve, recognize, rehearse, respond, and rest. There you go. We're going to be done, and I'm going to let you go now, okay? Would you stand? I'm just kidding. Resolve, recognize, rehearse, respond, and rest. 
I'm going to give you the first one. Resolve. I'm going to say this. Resolve to inquire. And this is what is fascinating about Jehoshaphat's first response. Verse 3. He's alarmed. He's freaked out. And his kingdom that God has given him stewardship over is about to be taken from him. But Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, proclaiming a fast for Judah. And the people came together to seek help from the Lord. And I don't know about you. Maybe you could write this down. What is your usual first response? Pastor Steve, you'll hear him talk about awfulizing, right? Any, anybody in here, like you're the kind of person when something happens, you start playing out every worst case scenario in your mind. Anybody? Raise your hand. No shame. No shame. Uh, maybe raise your hand if you're the kind of person who you start getting into performance mode and trying to take it all on your back. Family trauma happens, bad news comes, and you want to be the one to fix it all. And there's a, there's a paternal and a maternal instinct there that is God-given. But how many of you know sometimes what we do is we put all of the weight on our back and we, we take it upon ourselves to make it right, right? We say, this is on me. I got to fix this. But some, how many of you, you've ever found yourself, whether you're one of those two people, how many of you ever found yourself blaming others for why things are happening? There's like three of us. I, like, how many of you start having imaginary conversations in your mind with people that you're mad about, even though they've never talked to you about it? And then you start getting mad at them for what they didn't say to you, but it's in your head, and you, then you're like, well, yeah, screw you too. You know, sorry, <laughs> live stream's not on, I can say screw, um, but this is what we do, right? Like we, we, start, we start doing this and we awfulize and we start having these conversations and we start blaming and we start complaining and we start freaking out. And then what do we do? Some of us, we perform and some of us, we quit. We just fold and give up. The moment pressure comes is the moment we quit on God, we quit on church, we quit on people, we quit on our family, quit on our friends. We make them mad about it and then we blame them for why it's not working. So we, we quit and we... We then throw ourselves a pity party because we don't like how we feel even though part of it is our fault. And then what we do is we start going to vices to try and numb what we're feeling. And maybe it's a substance, but maybe it's a hobby. Some of you, you have idols out of the things that you do in your work or your play. And what you do is you tune out your family, you tune out the things that God has put in your life, you tune out the people. Because what are you doing? You're trying to escape what you feel. But I think it's so fascinating that Jehoshaphat, the king of all of the people, the one who God has stewarded with this, he, instead of going to a vice, instead of doing what it would be reasonable for a king to do, which is get his family out of Dodge, go to another nation where they can you know, keep him in, you know, in hiding and where, the, where they could escape and say, well, we're going to preserve, that's the word I'm looking for, we're going to preserve the family dynasty and, you know, maybe later we'll gain some influence again and we'll restore, you know, he could have done these things. It would have been reasonable, but he doesn't do any of that. And some of us, what we do is we, when pressure comes, we've got zero resolve. I want to challenge some of us to resolve now to preemptively decide that whenever pressure or disappointment or your own failure or someone else's failure that hurts you, that the first thing that you do is resolve to get God's perspective on it before you make a judgment in your mind. And this takes discipline. And there's a reason that I think Jehoshaphat decided to bring the entire nation along with him. He's like, if I'm going to suffer, you will too, you know. But we're going to fast and we're going to deny ourselves right now. And we are going to determine that we get God's perspective on this before we take defeat that we haven't even started in this battle yet.
And some of us, we've given up on a battle that has not even begun before it started. And we've accepted defeat when God is saying, there's imminent victory for you if you just get my perspective. So what he does is he resolves, forces himself into this moment, this prayer meeting saying, God, we have no freaking clue what to do, but our eyes are on you. And maybe for you, it's not a nation. I don't know if there's any nation leaders here, but I do know that there's a, there's a kingdom called your family and your marriage and your home and your workplace. And what if the kingdom is threatened by your son coming home and giving you some news about how he's been living or, there's, or your daughter comes home and she's been dating this guy who's just like you were when you were in high school and you're like, that's not a good thing. And you're starting to freak out. Oh, no. Like what happens when family trauma begins to unearth itself and decades later, you didn't realize that the entire fabric of everything that you had held true is now destroyed at the foundation and you're wondering how do we pick up the pieces now? Oh, what about when you come home and you thought your marriage was okay and it's been a hard season, but you, you've been doing all right and then your spouse says, I don't know if I want to do this any." More and you're dumbfounded and you're freaking out. What do we do? Do we turn to the vice or do we resolve in that moment and determine, God, I have no clue what to do, but my eyes are on you. I don't know what to do. I didn't anticipate this change. I didn't anticipate this coming down on my business. I didn't anticipate my son doing this. I didn't anticipate that person making that mistake and how it would affect me. I, didn't, I wasn't ready for this. I thought God wanted me to just have a great life. What do I do? And maybe you don't need to know what you need to do. You just need to know that what you need to do when you don't know what to do is you look to the God who does know what you need to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix my kid. I don't know how to fix my marriage. I don't know how to fix any of this. And I'm not talking about dumb faith, but I'm talking about, I'm saying that when I don't know what to do, because sometimes you do know what to do. Like you're out of money because you gambled it. Well, let me tell you what to do, not gamble. Like that's, that's a, you know what to do, right? Like be, be a good steward, but sometimes we just don't know what to do. I'm at a loss, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this. And when I think about it, it is insurmountable. I have no clue. And the more down the future I look, the worse the prospects get. What do I do now? And that is where we predetermine now that when that feeling comes, some, somewhere decades from now or months from now or days from now, that when that comes, our first response is prayer. First response, not second. I'm not being Christianese here. I'm being, this is what we do. The people of God, our first response is prayer. I'm gonna jack this phrase because I love it. P prayer is not our last resort. It's our first response. And for some of us, and I've been guilty of this, prayer is my last resort because I go through all of the blame, the complaining, and the awfulizing, and all of these different things, and I play these scenarios out, and then finally I'm like, okay, fine, that didn't work. I might as well pray. And God is saying, can you make that your first response? Can you lay down your freaking out and choose to come to me and say, God, if you don't come through, I don't know what. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Are you with me this morning? And this is our first response. And Jehoshaphat, he gets everybody together to fast and pray and say, God, we don't know what to do. 
We didn't expect this news. I didn't expect my son to come home and say this. I didn't expect this to happen in my business. I mean, we were doing good, and then 2020 hit and 2021 hit, and we were not ready for this. I wasn't anticipating this change. I wasn't anticipating my son getting that diagnosis and it changing how our family dynamic would work. I wasn't anticipating my kids doing it. I wasn't anticipating it, but God, I don't know what to do, so I'm gonna just keep my eyes on you. And it's not a reductionistic kind of thing. It's a simplification that reminds you to get back to the very thing thing that you need, which is God's perspective on your situation. And this is what we do. We, do, we resolve to inquire of the Lord. And I know, I'm not going to make you show your hands, but some of you got impossible situations or just difficult, murky situations. And I would challenge you that God has something he wants to speak to it. God has something he wants to say, whether it be from his word, whether it be what he wants to speak to you in prayer. But what we do is we go first to God and we say, hey, hey, fam, guess what? There's like multiple armies that are about to take us out. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to fast. Um, I know you're going to want to go to your fridge, so I'm putting a ban on that for a few days, okay? We're going to come together, and I know you're going to want to Netflix and just binge a show because you know tomorrow you're going to die anyways. But instead, we're going to come to the, the, the thing, but you can't eat, okay? So um, don't, don't, have it, don't bring any snacks, don't, like not even gluten-free. Like, at least it's a full-on fast. And you're going to come, and you're just going to be here, and we're going we're gonna to get on our knees. We're going to scream at God, and we're going to go until he answers us. And this is the only way out. It's either we die or we trust God. Which one do you guys want? He gets everybody together. Hey, there's some news. But as much as I'm the king, we serve a greater king. As much as I'm trying to steward my home well, I serve a God who gives me the patterns to follow. As much as I'm trying to build my life as good as I can, I cannot do this on my own, but I've got a God who's with me and he's leading me and he's comforting me and he's challenging me and he's with me and he's walking with me. He's on the inside of me. Are you with me this morning? We do not have what it takes, but when we inquire of the Lord, we begin to get his perspective. And this is number two, what we do. We remember and we recognize who's in charge. We recognize who's in charge. Some of us, we need to give up control. Stop carrying this thing on your back. You can't fix the people in your world. So stop trying. Like, unless God called you pastor, stop trying to pastor your friends. Some of us, we, we hold the responsibility to fix all of the people around us. We got to stop and just start saying, what, God, wouldn't you have me? Like, I'm going to trust that you're in charge, that you're leading them too, just as much as you like me, you like them too. Just as much as you got a plan for me, you got a plan for them too. So instead of me trying to steward everybody else's world, some of us need to be freed from trying to fix people. And we just need to accept the opportunity to allow God to work on us. Recognize who's in charge. God is in charge. He's God and he remains true to his promise. This is number three. This is what we do. And this is one of the most powerful things that you can do is you rehearse the promises. Rehearse the promises. And I toiled between these because I got three R's in a row. So you better know I got two more and they're both going to start with R. But I toyed with this re rehearse or repeat. I think they both work here. Rehearse and repeat the promises of God. Say it over and over and over and over again. And when you don't believe it, say it again. And when you doubt, say it again. And when you're discouraged, say it even louder. And this is what we did. Check this out. God, you did not, this is verse seven. God, you did not drive out the inhabitants. Did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel gave it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? As if God needs a reminder of who he is. They've lived in it 
and built a sanctuary in it, and they named it by you. And they said, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that, by the way, bears your name as if you needed a reminder. And we're going to cry out to you in the darkness, and we know that you're going to heal us and you're going to save us. This is God's promise earlier in this passage or earlier in this, this chapter in this book. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and they'll repent of their sins, I will hear from heaven and I'll come down and I will heal their land. We believe the promises of God. And so what we do is sometimes you, let me challenge you, let me give you an assignment. Remind God of his promises. And it's not because he needs it, but in the action of doing that, you remember his promises. And some of us, we don't know the promises of God. We don't know the character of God. And so we don't know what to remind God about. And again, he doesn't need the reminder. But sometimes I want my son to remind me of the rules. Son, is your plate still on the table? No. Yes, it is. It's right here, you dork. (laughs) Do we leave our plates on the table? Yes. No, we don't. We take it to the sink. What I want to hear from him is to tell me what I already know. Some of us, the best thing you could do this week is remind God of what he already knows. You are Jehovah. You are my God, my creator. You are Elohim, my creator. You are Jehovah, the Lord, my God. You are Adonai, the master who holds all the power. You are El Shaddai, my supplier. You are Jehovah Jireh, my provider. You are Jehovah Rophi, my healer. You are Jehovah Nisi, the banner over my life. You are Jehovah Makadesh, my sanctifier. You are Jehovah Sigkenu, my righteousness. You are Jehovah Shalom, my peace. You are Jehovah Rohi, my shepherd. You are Jehovah Shammah, my abiding presence. And he begins to shout back to you, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Don't quit because there's a vast army but it is vast it's weak in comparison to my power for the battle is not yours says the Lord it is mine I fight your battles I'm with you I'm not quitting on you and what we do is we remind God and he shouts back to us hey I am your provider that's right like Like, I don't know if you ever played sports, and before I didn't really, and you get the team, and you start shouting at each other, like, you are awesome. You are, I don't know, what what do you say when, like, the football teams, like, bounce around, like, you know, they just look, I I don't know, is this what we do? Like, you are like, I'm like, Taylor, you just lost all the credibility, and I'm sorry for that one. That was not okay. That was not appropriate. It's like, that dance wasn't good. It just wasn't, it wasn't it. But what do we do? They start shouting at each other, like, And they might swear a little bit, but they're just getting each other riled up. And what we need to do is we need to get God riled up, like be like, hey, God, you are my provider. I don't see a way, but you do. God, you are my healer. And I'm not feeling the healing, but I know that you're going to bring it on this side or that side. So, uh, God, I'm just reminding you of the character you have. And he says, I am the Lord your God. I am the one who called you. I have equipped you. I'm not leaving you. My spirit is within you. It goes before you and it surrounds you. It is on the inside of you. So you better believe if I promised it, I'm coming through on my promise. And when we do that, then our reasonable response is worship. And this is what we do. Number four is we respond in worship. Jehoshaphat, verse 21. He appointed, and this is fascinating. And I imagine, like, I don't know if you're a singer. How many of you are not singers? You want to show me your hands? (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's like all the Pentecostals. Like, I I can't wait to raise my hand. I'm not a singer. You're never going to hear me sing. I hate singing, you know. Taylor, you're getting way too demonstrative today. But he appointed singers to go ahead. I don't know if they were singers or if they're just guys like wielding weapons, but they got chosen to sing. 
He appointed men to sing and the Lord, sing to the Lord and the praise, praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army. And so imagine a bunch of men going into a battle scenario and they're singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And as they began, verse 22, as they began to sing praise, the Lord set ambushes and their enemies were defeated. Let me challenge us this morning. We're gonna sing, we're gonna wrap up in worship in just a moment. Praise is not just a response to what God has done. It is a preemptive response to what God will do. And this is the paradox of praise, is that you praise God in response to what he has yet to do, knowing that he will do it. He hasn't restored the marriage yet, but I'm gonna praise God for it knowing that he's doing it. I'm gonna praise God for the healing before the healing. I'm gonna praise God for the promotion before the promotion. I'm gonna praise God for the provision before the provision. And everything that we do, every time we worship, it's a declaration over the past, saying, God, you've been faithful. So if you've been faithful and you're the God who is faithful, you're the same today, yesterday, and forever, then if that means you were, then that must mean that you will be. So I stand here in the middle thanking you and thanking you. You did and you will. You did and you will. You healed and you'll heal. You restored and you'll restore. You freed and you'll free. You set captives free, you'll continue to set captives free. You brought us out of addiction and you'll bring us out of addiction. Whatever it is, you worship God for it before. And I don't know what your thing is and maybe you don't have a major thing and that's okay. But you praise God for the grandchild that your son and daughter-in-law, they've been struggling with infertility for years. And it's been the cry of your heart to be a grandpa and a grandma. It's the cry of your kid's heart to have a kid. And you can praise God now before they get pregnant, even though they've been trying for years, knowing that God is faithful. And you praise God before you see what you want to see. I don't know what it is for you. And I can't predict your future, but what I will say, is that worship was never meant to only be responsive to the back end. It's always responsive to what will come. And I wanna invite us to stand. We're gonna worship ahead today. We're gonna worship before. And this is what we get to do. When we worship, check it out. They worship, they go ahead of the battle. They're, they're, they're singing, they're shouting. I think it's fascinating the way God works, right? Is he, I mean, you, you think of the walls of Jericho, you heard that story where they, they just go every day, seven days in a row, marching around the city walls, shouting praises to God. What does he do? He brings the walls down. I think if we started taking off the lid of our conventional wisdom and what makes sense to the people who will see us praising, that if we take that off and we stop saying that I'll do whatever makes sense and doesn't make me look like a fool, David said, I'll, I'll become even more undignified than this. You don't see Daniel freed from the lion's den because he was passive about his faith. You don't see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walking around in the fire with what we believe to be Jesus in the fire with him because they were passive about their faith. 
I think some of us, we need to get aggressive and say, I'm gonna worship God before. I'm gonna praise his holy name because he's worthy and his love endures forever. And if he's worthy, then I might as well give him some undignified praise. I might as well jump and shout and lift my hands and sing loud and get a little bit outside of my comfort zone. I'm not trying to get you to worship like me. I'm trying to get you to get outside of your own box and say, God, you're worthy of outside my box. I'm gonna lift my hands even though I don't like lifting my hands. I'm gonna sing aloud even though I don't like my voice. God's like, but I love it. So would you give me what's already mine and watch as I do what only I can do. This is number five, is we rest and watch God do his job. Oh man, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord said ambushes and against all that were invading Judah and they were defeated and there are forces invading the church and forces invading your family and forces invading your spheres of influence right now and God is saying, you know what? Do what only you can do, but watch me be God. Watch me confuse them and turn them on each other. You just watch as I be faithful. You rest, you worship, and you sit back and do what only you can do, and I will be faithful to my word. Is anyone ready to worship before? Is anyone ready to give God praise before we see it? Come on, would you lift your hands all over the room? We're gonna sing this out. We're singing these lines. There's a lion inside of you. Come on, there's victory inside of you. There's healing inside of you. There's the spirit of God on the inside of you. Come on, there's freedom inside of you. There's faith inside of you.